Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode six of Taking Turns. I am Alex Rubens. I'm Nick Robinson. And uh, we're, we're back. It's 2015, y'all. It sure is. Wow, weird. I know. I know. I found that uh, today I found that class syllabus, syllabi, are the checks. They're the modern day checks. I wrote uh, January 5th, 2014 oh, on a piece no. of paper. Oh, it took me about 10 minutes to realize my mistake. You are uh, going to get an F. Yep, and I realized when some girl laughed at me. So it's pretty sweet. I um, think it's too soon in 2015 to be la- like laughing at people right? for stuff like that. That's a little much. Yeah. It was it was, it was a, a very chill. nice laugh. It, it wasn't like a mocking laugh, but still. Okay. Um, <laughs> yeah, if, if you're listening to us live on Dash Multiplayer, DashRadio.com or in the iPhone app, thank you very much. Uh, we appreciate that. You can also find us on iTunes and SoundCloud. Just taking turns. Uh, and that's SoundCloud.com slash Alex Rubens. Now, Nick. Mm-hmm. You went. You were back in North Carolina. We discussed this on the Christmas special last week. Correct. Did you play some games while you were there? I definitely, definitely did. Uh, for me, like this, this whole trip home uh, for the holidays. Because I got to, I got to spend a pretty big chunk of time there with the family, uh, and a lot of that time was spent just playing video games. So we talked about Smash Brothers a little bit already, and that really yeah. was the thing we played most. Um, but I was at a Walmart. A Walmart now exists in my hometown, which would have Ooh. been unimaginable a decade ago, but that is a thing. And I wandered into it to see what kind of Wii U games they had, because it's like not far from my home. And they had Game & Wario, which was on my mind for whatever reason. Um, I think it was because, like, I don't know, I was digging through my old games and found all my old WarioWare games and thought about how sad it is that there hasn't been a WarioWare game in, like, seven years. Um, but I was like, whatever, this will be a good enough substitute. And it's not. <laughs> it's it's definitely not a WarioWare game at all. It's got all the characters from WarioWare or whatever. It's got, like, your Jimmys and your Nine Volts and your Cat and Annas and your Monas. But, and Wario is also there. Um, but it's, like, it's whatever. I, I realize I'm talking about a game that is, like, a year and a half old to the rest of the world. But to me, I was, like, I didn't really know exactly what game Wario was. And it turns out it's just, like, 13 mini games, some of which are shitty and some of which are great. Now I have a question. Yes. You said that you found this at the Walmart. Was right. it in like the case? Because Walmart sells modern games. Was it was it in the case with that, or was it like off to the side? It was this a... last week. I stopped at a Rite Aid to get some some allergy medication, and they had two games in the CD section. Oh, what One were was they? Like a, a PS3 copy of Fifty Cent Blood on the Sand. Nice, awesome, and a GameCube copy of a Jimmy Neutron game. Which realistically, those are the only two games you need if you're buying games at a Rite Aid. Right. Yeah. I guess so. I'm just so. curious. Yeah. Where did you find this game? This was behind the glass. They had like a full-fledged Ooh. game section. I remember though. Gotta protect the I remember, game Wario. You do. Um, there was. I remember though, like in in high school, uh, my girlfriend lived near a grocery store that had a shelf of PC games that had not been touched or updated in like a decade. <laughs> so they had a boxed copy of like Tony Hawk One sitting there awesome. in two thousand eight. It was really bizarre. I have a picture of it somewhere, but it was like all the oldest, craziest games. I I missed that that shelf. That's not a, um, that's no, not a bad was, game. To, no, to have on your shelf. That's a pretty sweet no, game. and it and it had a nice warning on there that it required Windows ninety five or later. I guess so, I can't play. Yeah, you're not eligible. Um, but oh yeah, so Game of Wario divides its games between like single player and multiplayer, and we mostly stuck with the multiplayer stuff. There's one thing that's just an unabashed Pictionary clone. Perfect. Um. There's a what else is in there? Um, there's a couple things, uh, but the the one that we wound up spending the most time with is a game called Islands. 
Yes. Uh, which is a boring name for the best and worst game in the world. It's, uh, I would rather just call it Franks because that's what people I think call it <laughs> on the internet. It's just Franks because yeah. it's a mini game where you're launching these, uh, these creatures, these like weird pixelated or voxelated monsters called little cube dudes. They're cute. Some of them are cute. Uh, and at like these islands, and you're launching them by holding the Wii U gamepad vertically. Okay. Um, and you're using it as a slingshot, so like you pull back on the screen and then you tilt it in 3D space to aim it, and it's dumb, dude. Yeah, it's so dumb. It's like it's like you remember Monkey Target? Yes, yes, that is it's, what I was gonna equate it to. Yeah, it's like if, it's like if Monkey Target was bullshit, is what it is. You know what though? Is that like, Monkey Target is still a solid game. I actually dude, just went Monkey- back and played that. Uh, a friend was doing an extra life stream. And uh, someone brought a GameCube over, and we played a ton of Monkey Target, and that still holds up. Was it uh, from Monkey Ball 1 or Monkey Ball 2? I believe it was Monkey Ball 2. Okay, so that's the one. There was eight games, uh, and I think that makes it Monkey Ball 2. Monkey Ball 2's version of Monkey Target is the version that allows you to uh, fly in formations, right? So it's it's an optional thing. You you were probably just playing the traditional one, but there's an option in there where you can, like... um, choose to fly with five monkeys so every run you have you're you've got like a squad of five monkeys and you can hit the y button to change their flight pattern it's is awesome. there a flying v there is there is also okay. a straight line <laughs> and a okay. horizontal line it's really really nuts i'm the biggest monkey ball fan in the world which is why i was so excited when i saw this islands mini game but this is like god it's so funny it's it's a really good mix of like stupid and probably technically bad but but like designed to be as funny as possible. There's one level I don't want to give anything away. Yeah, never mind. I'm, I'll save that for later. We recorded a lot of footage of us playing this that I've just been like slowly uh, putting up on my YouTube channel. Um, but like, okay, so there's one level, um, and I think it's the one we showed where uh, there's like a set of scales, right? Yes, yes. And you are throwing these things, just like throwing handfuls of these little dudes at these scales, and depending on the height of the scale the number of points you get for being on that side of the scale changes radically. So right off the bat, it's already completely fucking random. But at the end of the match, uh, I think I was ahead. We were four players. I was in the lead by a landslide because I had timed it out just perfectly so that we would end the game on 100. So my side of the scale was at the 100 zone, and I had, like, hundreds more points than everyone else. And then at the end of the game, a photorealistic, like, seagull flies in, picks up one of the fronks, and just fucking drops it in the ocean. (laughs) And that is enough to reset the scales and drop my number from 100 points to 30 points and drop my brother's number from like 20 points to 50 points and then he wins and it's just literally it's literally random but it's um like if you're the type of person who is not competitive and can just like enjoy a stupid party game for what it is it is like the hardest i've laughed at a video game in a really long time i also really like that when these people these fronks sorry i didn't i didn't mean to be insensitive there when these fronks fall off of the platform they're literally just drowning in the water. They just stay there drowning for the entire game. It's they so do. Weird. And it's funny because they've got a nice little drowning animation where uh, their arms and legs stay pretty much still normally. But as soon as they hit the water, their arms and legs just, just sort of start feebly like wobbling. And it kind of looks like they're moving. Like it almost looks like they're... they're my brother described it as like the, they're drowning in a direction. Like they're not swimming, okay. but they're drowning towards the horizon. It's yeah. pretty disturbing. Uh I, I love that game. That's the thing about Game & Wario is, like, 
the aesthetics are all there, and it feels really polished and Nintendo-y and silly, and it's, like, got the WarioWare sense of humor there, but, like, half the minigames are not good, and that's a bummer. Um, but I got it for super cheap, so I'm not, like, I'm, I got it for 20 bucks, which, right, that right there is justified by the Franks minigame, so. So is there nothing outside of Island Franks that is worth playing in that? There's, like, one of the ones that I really enjoyed from the single player is a photography minigame where... Pokemon Snap? Basically, dude, it kind of is. Mm, not Fronks. It's actually mm, these unsold. really awful humanoid figures that they could have totally just used Miis, but instead they use these really ugly, like, hilariously, like, dis- distorted-looking monster people. Uh, and it's basically a game where, like... On your TV is a really, really wide shot of, like, I don't know, uh, a city or uh, a stage at a musical. Like, there's a musical happening. And you use your gamepad as a camera, so you hold your gamepad up and zoom in and out with a stick and you pull the right trigger to take a photo. But you're, like, you're you're a spy is the, the – or not a spy. You're, like, a photojournalist is the idea. So, like, your editor is, like, you need to get a picture of these five people and uh, you – each photo you take is rated on a scale from 1 to 100 based on, like, whether or not they're facing you, whether or not they're frame-centered. It is very much like Pokemon Snap, so, like, um, whether their eyes are open. Um, and just the, the the physical motion of holding your gamepad up like a camera and, and aiming it, and it's super, super sensitive uh, at the TV, it just it felt right. Like, it that's one example of the motion control stuff working really well. Um, Interesting. Yeah, so I liked that one. Uh, it's that game's a little weird because like, it's not all developed by one team. I think various mini games in Game and Wario were developed by various teams within Nintendo, and you can kind of feel it. Like you can tell which one is very clearly the one by the uh, Rhythm Heaven team, for example. Yeah. Um, there's one that's just like a straight up rhythm mini game. Um, the one that I think the Wii Sports team did is just straight up a bowling, like a bowling one. <laughs> um, so what? So what you're telling me is that there's a possibility that there is a team inside Nintendo that solely works on Franks. I hope so. I literally, I, I really need to do the legwork this week and, like, get to the bottom of which specific, like, sub-studio at Nintendo was responsible for that minigame so I can go back and play everything they've ever played. My guess, my guess would be Nintendo SPD Group 2 because they're the ones who made WarioWare and only they would put that much effort into, like, a joke game, I feel yeah. like. Um, you know what? But, yeah. Super, I, huh? No, go ahead. Go ahead. I was, I was just oh, going to say just, that, I, that Super Monkey Ball Two was a Nintendo exclusive, so there's always a possibility that you know maybe some of that team worked on Frogs. Maybe, maybe probably not. But I, that's, so that's what I, I'd like to believe. I want to, man. Don't even get me. We we could spend the rest of this this podcast talking about the the tragic tragic story of what happened to the Monkey Ball franchise. Nothing makes me sadder. Oh my god. It's such a bummer. I don't know what happened to Amusement Vision and where, I they I went I. As, and where they went. I, I, man. And Gon Gon and Mimi <laughs> and Baby. Also, can we just talk about how those are the laziest character names ever? Okay. Well, I, that's I, Gon Gon, Mimi. You know, you can say that, but maybe it's because they used up all of their cleverness on the name of the bad guy, which is Dr. Bad Boon. You know what? You're right. That's That's... You can't more than makes up perfect, for baby. Yeah. Baby, it's so dumb because like I, I, Gongon, and Mimi are all like repeated monosyllabic phrases, but then baby is like just so fucking phoned in. Yeah, it it's was so... baby, but he cried about it, so they called him baby. I guess so. Oh, yeah. god damn! I'd, I'd like to know the monkey ball lore. 
uh, a little bit. I can tell you. I know everything about Monkey Ball. Just ask. Um, in case you're wondering, by the way, the best Monkey Ball game, if you ever need to just pick one for the rest of you, you're stuck on a on a island, on mm-hmm. uh, Monkey Island, um, what you need to do is get Super Monkey Ball Deluxe for the Xbox or PS2. It is every single stage and every single mini game from Monkey Ball 1 and Monkey Ball 2, plus some extra stages, fit together on one disc, and it's amazing. It's so good. Heaven. Uh, I hope it's backwards compatible with uh, it, 360. That'd be pretty cool. It is. It is. I'm happy yeah, I'm to report gonna, that I'm it is. I'm going to buy this. Uh, yeah. I'm actually going to write. You know, I played a game that's very similar to uh, Franks and Super Monkey Ball. but I doubt you, that very much. You cut people's heads off and it's about dumb fantasy stuff. It's Shadow of Mordor. Okay. Yeah. Uh, we I talked do about see this. There is yeah. a similarity. Yeah, there's there's a couple. There's a lot um, of rolling of spherical objects. So it's like he- orc heads instead of monkey balls, but like otherwise it's kind of similar. Yeah. Uh, we actually talked about it on one of the earlier episodes uh, when I explained mm-hmm. why fantasy is dumb. Uh, and yep. uh, I decided to finally give it a shot. And, uh, I, you know, the action's pretty cool. Mm-hmm. And it makes me wish that, you know, maybe it happened in uh, a universe that I cared about. I understand why people can like Lord of the Rings. That's fine. I, I just like being dramatic when I say that fantasy is dumb. But, uh, it like... Right from the very beginning, you know, they throw Smeagol Gollum uh, in there, and it's a lot of, like, very direct fan service to Lord of the Rings, despite sort of the yeah. opening of the game not being fan service to Lord of the Rings. Uh, and it just sort of caught me off guard a little bit, and uh, mm-hmm. it was very surprising. Uh, but I had fun with it, with the hour or two that I played. I cut a lot of dudes' heads off. Uh, I didn't get super deep into the Nemesis system. I actually sort of only... Um, barely scratched the surface of that but i still thought it was pretty neat and i actually will probably put more time into it so that's cool yeah it's it's definitely worth continuing to put time into i think think so like as someone with i I share your your kind of like weariness with high fantasy and lord of the rings but it's just it's the more time you put into that game the more i like it and uh if I could do one thing differently, if I could go back and change the way I played it, I would have put more time into the story right away because there are some pretty significant like mechanics, like nemesis system mechanics, that are uh, sort of stonewalled behind main mission like story things. So, huh. yeah, to get the most out of like, because it's so tempting to just run around the open world and not progress the story. That's what I did for like the first hour, was just ran around and like murdered dudes. Um, but it's worth pushing through, I think, because that's where a lot of the meat of the game is. Interesting. See, I'm sort of working on it the other way, where I'm just mainlining the story missions, because that kind of oh, seems good. to be uh, all that I can actually focus on. Uh, just by the fact that they mm-hmm. were yellow on the map and sort of glowy uh, instantly, I sure. just sort of cling to them, and that's been what I've been focusing most of my time on. That makes sense. I think the combat mechanics are super solid, uh, and actually mix, uh, like people said, mix Arkham and uh, Assassin's Creed really well. Uh, they mix, you know, the physical combat of Arkham with the sword play of Assassin's Creed, and it's pretty neat. Mm-hmm. It was finally done right. I feel like. Yeah, I mean, to me, it, it I think it plays better than any Assassin's Creed I've ever played. Just yeah. and and mo- and I think in some ways it actually is a. Like, it does things that I think are interesting that set it apart from Batman. Um, 100%. 
Uh, so that's pretty cool. I, uh, I actually really like that. But I didn't get too far deep or too deep into it, so I can't necessarily speak too uh, heavily on the game. But hopefully I'll have more on that next week. I hope to actually dig more into it this week once uh, I've had mm. time to get back into the swing of things. Something I did play a lot of, though, was Halo 5's uh, multiplayer beta because they put out week two content. Oh, yeah, they, so they, they finally rolled in the uh, the competitive thing, right? Yeah, so they put in this mode called Breakout, which is a 4v4 competitive, uh, basically kill the other team and don't die. Uh, and it's like for, it's round-based, so you if you kill the other team and you're still alive, you get a point, and it's first to five points. Uh, so it's pretty cool, mm-hmm. and uh, it seems very esports-focused, which is pretty cool, actually, to see that you know over a year out. Yeah. Uh, totally, or at least totally. a year and if you're if you're listening to this to um and if you're listening to this uh you should go to youtube and check out alex actually did a really cool breakdown of like what this mode is like from the esports perspective that is like really really worth watching like it's because my I, as an outsider who plays halo as a casual player and not as an esports player i had like no idea if because when i played breakout at the event i was like this is super tight but i don't know if this would matter to someone who's like an esports guy and your video was like a is a pretty solid answer that it's it's at least a promising start, right? Yeah, well, I think the fact that so Halo esports traditionally is Team Slayer or Oddball or Capture the Flag these modes that kind of you know might have just gotten picked for esports because there isn't really any other Halo competitive mode uh, other than like mm-hmm. a team SWAT or something like that. Um, and so I think it's kind of neat to see a mode being built for esports uh, from the very beginning, which is something that Halo super drastically needs. Uh, and it's pretty cool because Microsoft's actually throwing like a ton of money at Halo esports, and right now they're just playing Halo Two. So I think the fact that they are throwing money at you know an old game now to get people hyped for the new game, and then are building the new game to support that kind of content and play, is uh, pretty cool and should be really exciting when that happens. Hmm. I also, like, one thing that really stood out to me about the breakout mode, and it looks like it's the same way in the beta as it was at the preview version they showed us a couple months back, is that it's it all takes place on a forge map that has this, like, really, really awesome, like, blue and teal, or, like, it's like a teal and orange VR art style. Yeah, that it's, just like has, a, it's like a Tron grid that's mapped over everything. Yeah, but it's, like, very high readability, I feel like. Like, it's created... It, it feels like a level playing field in a, in a lot of ways. It feels very... It, that game is sometimes a little on the bloomy and, like, glowy yeah. uh, side, <laughs> I feel like, sometimes, yeah. based on the other single-player levels. But this stuff is just, like, so straightforward and so clean, and I found that really appealing when I played it. Yeah, well, it's cool, too, because it almost seems like they're building that to maybe track some stats because like you throw a grenade at a wall or you shoot at a wall and it lights up in a different shade of blue uh almost as if it's being activated on like a thermal map uh if that makes any sense uh and so it almost I seems hope that's like true yeah maybe they're testing stuff out uh it, it the map seems like a testing ground of sorts uh that like you said it was a forge map that's floating in space uh and so i'm hoping that that means they're testing to see how people play and how people utilize the map design. Uh, but those maps should definitely be in the full game because they're dope as hell. Totally, yeah. Um, but that So I've been using my Xbox One a lot because I've been playing Breakout, uh, and I've also been watching a lot of Netflix and playing uh, Call of Duty and watching Call of Duty via the MLG app. 
And that actually, interestingly enough, highlighted some issues with the Xbox One that I've been encountering, where apps freaking crash every single day. I don't know if it's Jeez, just like really? if it's a common issue or not, but like, dude, Netflix crashes. It's like, <laughs> what? Like, how can how you know the next generation all-in-one entertainment platform, the Xbox One, crash on Netflix? And like, I'll just it's... load up Netflix and it'll sit there loading and just be like quitting and just dip back out to the main menu. Oh, weird. See, I've had similar issues. I brought my Xbox One home for Christmas too, and I just had like a bunch of situations where like I would we spent me and my family played the Jackbox Party Pack just a shitload, like a ridiculous amount over mm-hmm. the past couple weeks. Um, but we would have at least two or three instances where uh, it would just be like hanging on that main screen, and I'd hit A on it, and it would just make the boom, 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 boom noise over and over, and just not go. Like the only solution was to do a hard reset of the whole system. I don't know why. Yeah, it's it's it's. A little bit weird, especially coming from... So I bought the PS4 first. I bought the PS4 at launch and just picked up the Xbox, uh, as we discussed a couple episodes back, for Master Chief Collection. Uh, so I'm, I still feel like I'm getting somewhat used to the UI and how the system works. But other times it feels like the weirdest thing. Because my 360, that never happened. When when like when something booted back to the main menu, that was like a big deal, right? Like that game Oh, was totally, broken. yeah. Why Why is that acceptable on next-gen hardware when PS4 doesn't do that? I had my PS4 for a year and nothing ever crashed. Uh, it's it's kind of nuts. Uh, and I've also found that despite being heavily on the physical side of purchasing games, uh, Xbox One, I'm going digital because if I have to install the whole game anyway, uh, it's quicker actually to download it than it is to install, which is nuts. Hmm. Like downloading something that's 50 gigs is faster than installing a disc that's crazy. There's just so many things about the system that, like, I really like it. I, I really do. I've been using it a ton. It's really nice just switching between games and TV super fast. But, like, other things are like, how did you mess this up? Why does an install of a game? So I actually have Madden on both things. And Madden takes about 25 seconds to install on a PS4 and about an hour to install on Xbox One. Jesus. Wow. What is so different? The, the load times aren't any faster. Like what? I, what is going that's on? That's crazy. It, Why it have I not heard about sense. this? I mean, people people talk about it like crazy. There's a I think Kotaku put up a comparison actually of load time different or uh, installed differences on PS4 and Xbox One, and it's like minutes versus seconds, like the same number but in minutes or seconds. That's it's crazy. so bizarre. Like, how do you? It's so weird because like I think we've all gotten used to hardware parody in a lot of ways for consoles at this point in so many ways like the the boxes that you buy are pretty similar um and it's the way that's just such a drastic difference i'm blown away by that yeah it just uh it confuses me a little bit i saw actually a story come out today that um microsoft freed up some cpu power for devs uh and i kind of hope that that actually just goes towards system stability because it's a little bit unacceptable at this point. That's a $400 console, right? Uh, right? And it crashes nonstop. It's also like, I mean, you alluded to this earlier with like saying how this never happened on the 360, but it's like, it's weird that 
it's the one thing, like, the one thing that I feel like for the longest time was the thing you could point to as making console gaming pleasant was the fact that games it just, just works, worked, right? Yeah. It just, oh, yeah. And, and that, this generation, it, for at least the first year or so, it feels like has just totally gone out the window. Games are shipping buggy and broken and hideous with, like, horrible frame rates. And it's like, okay, well, if this is what console games are going to be like, I'll just... I'll just use a PC because it's it'll be broken there, but at least like it'll be affordable and I'll have Steam sales and other reasons to justify it. It's just I don't know, man. It's it's not the the super balanced mecca that, that it used to be. Yeah, it's uh it's crazy. So I think that will do it for the first half of Taking Turns. We are going to take a break with what is quite possibly my favorite song from the last week. I've probably listened to it a hundred times. It is Only One by Kanye West featuring Paul McCartney. Oh hell yeah. Yeah. That's a good choice. Yep. As I lay me down to sleep, I hear her speak to me. Hello, Marit. How you doing? I think the storm ran out of rain, the clouds are moving. I know you're happy. Cause I can see it To tell the boys inside your head to believe it I talked to God about you He said he sent you an angel And look at all that he gave you Yes, for one and you got to mm-hmm. You know I never left you Cause every road that leads to heaven's right inside you So I can say Hello, my only one Just like the morning sun You keep on rising till the sky knows your name Hello, my only one Remember who you are No, you're not perfect, but you're not your mistakes Hey, 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 hey Oh, the good, I wish them bad Even on your estate Remember I'd say Hey, hey, one day you'll be the man you always knew you could be. And if you knew how proud I was, you'd never shed a tear, have a fear. No, you wouldn't do that. And no, I didn't pick the day to turn the page. I know it's not the end every time I see her face and I hear you say hello. And next time when I look in your eyes, we'll have wings and we'll fly. No, my only one, just like the morning sun, you'll keep on rising till the sky knows your name. And you're still my chosen one. Remember who you are. No, you're not perfect, but you're not your mistakes. Hey, 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 hey. Tell Nori about me. Tell Nori. I just want you to do me a favor. Tell Nori about me. 
back that was only one by kanye west featuring paul mccartney you're welcome uh let's continue talking about some games nick uh what else have you been playing well okay so i because i just like literally about an hour ago yeah. stepped off an airplane uh i just spent five and a half hours trapped in a in a plane with weirdly no internet which i, I actually kind of what? prefer i know it doesn't happen that often anymore but like i tend to not connect to the internet anyway on planes when i can avoid it because it's just like i love the there's something comforting about being trapped with my devices and just like making myself catch up on media with no distractions you know what i mean yeah um so i let's see i played a ton of of vita stuff um i did a lot of like playing spelunky while listening to podcasts and i I do that every single time i'm on a plane it is the best use of the vita yep spelunky Spelunky while listening to podcasts. That's so nice. Yeah, it, it was the best. It was actually it was weird because the one of the podcasts I was listening to wound up mentioning Spelunky, which was surreal. Um, but my my experience with Spelunky has been I've been obsessively playing it since Spelunky Classic. Like when I was in college, I had a job where I would just sit at a desk from midnight to five a.m. and uh, do nothing. Um, so I would just play the original like pixelated Spelunky back from like two thousand ten or whenever two thousand nine. Uh, and I've, I don't know, I just, I love that game, and I love the HD version of it. Um, I actually made it to the City of Gold for the first time today, which was Ooh, exciting. That is pretty cool. Yeah, it's, it is very, like, I, my experience with Spelunky has been uh, very much, like, deliberately keeping myself in the dark on, on how to do anything. Like, I, I beat the game initially with shortcuts, and I beat the game uh, with no shortcuts once, and from there it's just been, like, I don't know. I just it it seemed like it'd be fun to me to not look up how to get to the city of gold and how to get to hell and stuff like that. And like it's actually been really rewarding in a way because I I first of all I accidentally discovered like the Black Knight area for the first time uh, like six months ago and that was super exciting seeing a new part of a game that I didn't know had parts I hadn't seen yet. Um, that was really cool. 
Uh, and then, yeah, today I, I made it to the City of Gold. And I think I had an idea in my head of how you'd do it. I figured that it was like, okay, i got to get this thing from World 1, this thing from World 2, this thing in World 3. But I'd never done those things in sequence. Uh, and it was a weird moment for me where I got to World 3 and I was like, okay, I have the thingy that I think I need to activate this thingy. But nothing's happening. And I just like stood next to the thing and threw bombs at the thing and the thing wouldn't do anything. And I was like, all right, well, I'm just going to go on. And then I like tried to move on, screwed up, accidentally killed myself, was brought back to life by the thing in question, and then a door opened up. And I was like, oh, my God, I made it to the thing. Um, yeah, super, super fun for me. I actually, like, it was one of those moments where I got so invested in my Spelunky run that I had to unplug my headphones from my, like, my podcast and plug it into my Vita so I could actually focus. Um, but, yeah, I just, like, I still, like, that's... Spelunky is one of my favorite games of, of 2014 and 2015 and 2013 and 2012 and 2011. Like, it keeps it keeps giving back. It keeps giving back. Um, yeah, it's actually interesting because I reviewed that game as, I think, one of my first couple reviews at G4 back in, what, 2012? And uh, mm-hmm. I thought that it was objectively a good game, I guess. Um, but I didn't really get the entire pulling that all together to be seeing how far you can get over and over again and you know trying to do it without shortcuts and speed running and daily challenges and all this stuff so it's been really cool actually seeing the game evolve over the you know last couple years of playing it that was three years ago and people still play this game every day yeah people bring their vitas around there's i know you know a dozen people who keep their vitas with them and just play spelunky when they have a couple minutes to see how far it was it was honestly like it was a really big part of why i bought a vita is i when they announced that that vita port was coming i was like well i guess i have to get a vita now um and it's i also feel like reviewing spelunky at the time would have been like really really hard it would have been like trying to review dark souls Oh yeah. Like before it came out, like there's just like it I feel like it it's really easy and I know a lot of people who have done this to play Spelunky uh for like an hour and think you get it and think you know what it is and uh never realize that it's so much more than that. Like it's just so it's so nearly just a perfect thing. The the way jumping works and the way throwing works and all the little mechanical intricacies of it and the fact that there are like these sort of hidden quiet sub objectives on each world for you to go after so it's not just the same like banging your head against the wall every time you die. It's everything about Spelunky I think is so perfect and I yeah, I can't wait to see what Derek U makes next because I Spelunky is gonna be one of my favorite games of all time until the day I die probably. It's just so so such a flawless thing. God I love it. God I love yeah. Spelunky. I mean, he's got to be working on some. Has he talked about it at all? I don't know. And it's been a while, right? But, like, Spelunky was a project that he worked on, I think, for, like, four to six years, that HD yeah. remake. It was so funny, too, because when it came out at first, I was like, this is cool, but it's just Spelunky, but, like, prettier. And then the more I played it, the more I realized it's not that at all. It's the most perfect version of the idea that he had with that original Game Maker prototype. Yeah. Um, he released a board game at some point last year that was, like, a free-to-print-out and download, like board game idea that i haven't messed with yet but i'd love to mess with soon hmm. um but yeah I, I hope he makes another game and i can't wait to see what it is but i, I think i mean i i get the impression that spelunky was a success a huge one um, i'm pretty sure yeah yeah and it's like on every platform and they've had playstation plus stuff and so it's like i'm sure him and the other guy andy who i th- think did what was his role on it did he do the mu- no splorky did the music andy did 
the code and then Derek did the art and game design? I I can't hmm. remember. Anyways, it was like two dudes basically. Uh so I'm sure that they're probably set for a while, but I I'd hope they make something else. I really Yeah. Hope. I mean that two dude mentality seems to work pretty well in indie games. Risk of Rain was also a two dude game. It was done by like two dudes in one of my class. Uh, and just today they were named as Forbes 30 under 30 for games, which is nuts. Uh, thinking about that and how many copies that game has probably sold over time. That's, that seems to be the way to go. That's insane. Yeah, there was actually, I was reading a, a PC Gamer ran a, a article uh, like a couple days ago actually called The Making of Hotline Miami 2 oh, uh, that Andy Hamilton wrote that I totally recommend checking out if you if you haven't. Um, but one of the things they talk about, the, the two dudes who, who made Hotline Miami, the two dudes uh, in that uh, development team, uh, Denaton, um, are named uh, Cactus or uh, Cactus Squid or whatever, and then uh, Dennis Wedden is the other guy. Uh, and they talk in this interview extensively about how, like, they absolutely never... They're like... There's a quote from them about, um, be, like, trying to make a game on a team with more than two people, and they just say they never want to do it. They're like, as soon <laughs> as you introduce more than two people, it, it just... You have to deal with so much more. And yeah. that makes sense to me on some weird cognitive level that, like... Having a third person probably just exponentially complicates it, whereas being a two-person team is like there's not that. I mean, you just there's so many successful indie two-person teams, right? You've got like Vlambeer, and there's just it's a common. I think that formula works for a reason. I don't know. Yeah, yeah. Did you uh, did you play anything else on the plane? Yeah, I uh, I played through a a visual novel called Juniper's Knot. Um, oh, I, th- I think I saw you tweeting about this. Explain yeah, it. it's this? so my brother recommended it to me, and it's a super short um, visual novel that I, I looked it up, and it turns out it's free on like PC, Mac, and Linux, and it's available on iOS for ninety nine cents. So I loaded it up on my iPad before the flight, and it's such a short story. Um, it's it's like probably less than an hour long and super linear, and um, it's so short that I hesitate to say much about it, except for that. It's really, really visually beautiful. It's it's basically just a conversation between uh, two characters. There's really only two characters. Uh, one is like a small boy, and the other one is like this demon girl who's like... I, I don't want to say that much. I don't want to say... Any, sure. I, it's so tricky. But like it's, it's a really interesting... Like the, the way that the world is built out based on their conversation is so interesting. And the way that... Uh, the the demon girl who has apparently been alive a very long time the way she talks is really weird like the way she's written she's written like somebody who hasn't spoken to anyone in centuries and hmm. and it's it was it's like nothing i've ever really played before it's so polished the art is so good like every little movement that the characters make i think is significant um like visually they they sort of move around a lot and it's it's just it's a really really cool beautiful short story that is totally free takes less than an hour to play through really good for like if you're on a flight or just you have an hour to kill um apparently like it's it's a team of i think like six people who wanted i think from according to like their wikipedia article which i read earlier today after i beat that game um they wanted to try to make a team whose sole goal was to make super high quality visual novels that were like western that were like a western audience um and the art style is super anime, and like actually playing through from start to finish, I wasn't sure if it was like a an Eastern or a Western VN. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, like even if you're not usually the type of person who play a visual novel, it's like 
it really will definitely stick with you. It has an incredible ending, a ton of unique art assets, and it's just like, I can't believe that they're giving it away for free at all. Like, it, it's it's worth just buying it for 99 cents on the iPad so you can know that you supported it and just, yeah, grab it and sit on your couch and play through it, and it's like, you'll be glad you did. I, it's really hard to imagine somebody not being affected by it. Yeah. Yeah. So I've actually been playing a lot of iOS games as well. Ooh. Um, I obviously have been playing Hearthstone, as we've talked about numerous times mm. uh, over the last couple of weeks, which is still just digging its claws in. That game is so good. The game is so good. Um, but I've also been playing some, you know, random games like Crossy Road. Have you played Crossy Road at all? I have. And I actually came home for the holidays to discover that my whole family had been playing Crossy Road. Oh, gosh. Um, it, it got that far. It did. It spread. Um, which, if you're unfamiliar, is basically Frogger, um, but with a whole bunch of costumes and a, a lot of free-to-play gimmicks, uh, which I'm pretty sure it's it's made by the same guy who did, what, what's that game called, like 4, 420 Best Game Ever, or whatever it's called. Uh, I think Idle Thumbs brought that up, uh, and I had no clue. Uh, but it, it's really interesting because it is pretty much just a free-to-play Frogger clone that uh, you move by swiping to get, get across, and you unlock random costumes every single time. Uh, it's pretty pointless, but I'm having fun with it as like a little, you know, minute-long game to do in between things, which I think is actually, at least for me, that's where iPhone games tend to uh, hold the most value. iPad mm. games, I, you know, could be whatever. They can be FTL, they can be Hearthstone. But iPhone games specifically, at least over the last two years, my usage of them uh has gone down drastically because uh one i need all the battery life my iphone can get because it's a piece of garbage uh when it comes to battery uh and two just because i don't have the time to sit there with you know my iphone if i do i'll just pull out my ipad um for a better experience Uh, so i really tend to only play you know turn by turn or quick less than one minute experience games on the iphone so it's, uh, it's, it's been a pretty weird shift that I don't think I was really expecting with how much I played games on my iPhone originally and even iPod Touch a couple years back. Uh, another game I've been playing is Trivia Crack, which I really only play because my friends are playing it. But it helps that I'm playing it because I know endless amounts of useless garbage. Uh, and it's basically a trivia game that's like separated into a Wheel of Fortune-style spin wheel that uh, lands on one of five topics. Uh, and you have to get three in a row correct, and then you can challenge or, uh, I guess, just answer another question to basically grab one of those topics. Um, there's actually six, and uh, basically first person to collect all six wins, and it's just a turn-by-turn, you know, going back and forth with one of your friends. Uh, and so I basically just use it to prove that I'm smarter than all of my friends, uh, which is silly and stupid. Um, but it's kind of fun, and it's good to, like, pass the time occasionally, which, like I said, is... It it must be pretty popular because when you go to the app store and type in the letter T, it auto completes the trivia crack. Yeah, I'm pretty sure it's the top game on the app store now. Uh, yeah, I which is probably why my friends are actually now. playing it. Yeah, th- you know, there's actually some good questions in there. It's pretty interesting, and like some of them try and trick you to where you think you've beaten it, like you think you're so smart, and then it tricks you with a really sort of question where you didn't fully read it like one of them is like how many players are on a soccer field besides the goalkeeper and you instantly like how many players are on a soccer field 11 and you have to think wait take away the goalkeeper and it's only 10 uh which you know seems like an obvious 
thing that you could track but when you're in the moment and you're answering questions thinking you're a genius uh it sort of turns around and another actually interesting mechanic is so when you actually fill up you get three questions in a row or three questions correct i guess they don't have to be in a row you can make a mistake uh and you basically fill up a bar that allows you to you know answer one more question and get one of those um get one of those i guess category icons uh you know like a popcorn for entertainment or a football for sports uh if you would instead like to steal one from your opponent you can challenge them uh and basically you see who answers the most correct questions correctly in 30 seconds uh which i think is actually kind of an interesting mechanic to not just have it be who can you know answer questions correctly but who can do it in a quick fashion, which sort of turns around the idea of a trivia game. Because with a trivia game, you want to sit there and think about it. You don't just want to select random things. But when it comes to a challenging mo- uh, challenge mode where it's time-based, I find that I just select random stuff and hope it works out uh, oh. if I don't know it. Uh, so it's kind of interesting. Uh, maybe we can start uh, playing that together. Definitely. I'm installing it right now. And I'm, it's interesting. One thing that like that game and Crossy Road both have in common that I think is like increasingly an essential part of of ios games that i actually stick with or iphone games that i stick with is that those are both games you can play in portrait mode one-handed yes um and i think like that is such a that for me is a deal breaker on like so many games it just especially somebody who uh like took public transit all the time last year uh, just the ability to play one-handed is so crucial and there are so many games that require you to turn it sideways but the gameplay doesn't require you to turn it sideways and it's like why are you making me do this um, I don't know. I wish that that was something that iOS developers kept in mind more often because it really is like a deal breaker for I think a lot of people on some level. Yeah. Although yeah, uh, you know what I have to say though, <clears throat> Crossy Road, I have actually fallen off of because it occurred to me that when you play Crossy Mode in Landscape Mode rather than Portrait, you have a huge advantage. Um, when you turn the phone sideways, you can see so much more of like what's on your left and right. Oh, and it like actually changes it from a balance perspective, which means that I am no longer willing to play the game in, in portrait mode, which means that I'm no longer playing Crossy Road. So it kind of yeah that re- that revelation broke Crossy Road for me, unfortunately. I see. I never even think about that because I uh, generally keep my phone with aspect ratio locked to portrait, uh, just because I. I'm a terrible person and look at my phone in bed quite often. Same. Uh, and that results in it turning sideways and me just getting angry. Um, so I wanted to bring up something else, too, because we discussed the Cards Against Humanity uh, holiday uh, thing that they ran uh, on our Christmas special. And a couple days ago, I actually got another thing uh, in the mail in the same packaging, which is a booklet in their same signature, all black with white text style, that says, your emails are bad and you should feel bad by Cards Against Humanity. Oh, my brother got this. He was telling me about it. Yeah, so it's it almost highlights something that I, uh, I seem to have changed my stance on Cards Against Humanity a little bit. I think they're very creative people uh, and they do some really cool stuff. This book seems kind of mean. Really? Yeah, it seems a little mean-spirited. <laughs> I don't know, like, it's, I mean, obviously everyone gets dumb emails all the time, but they seem to be, like, responding to random, random emails that might be, like, kind of nice, or kind of, like, innocent, and, uh, or just, I guess, stupid people, and, uh, 
they're doing it in kind of a mean-spirited way. That's easy to uh, imagine. That feels like it's at least, at the very least, that's on brand for Cards Against Humanity, right? Like, that's who they is. are. And I, I think at one point they said, and maybe this is mentioned in the book, but I think they respond to every email they get. Yeah, they do. Yeah. Uh, it says, uh, Cards Against Humanity receives about 500 emails a day. We read and answer every single one, uh, which is funny. And also, here's actually probably the most offensive thing to me as the sole proprietor of Cat Taku uh, on Kotaku. is uh, It says, Cards Against Humanity's interesting idea folder, which clearly are not uh, actually ideas that they find interesting, is Cats Against Humanity. That sounds like a great game that I would like to purchase. How elaborate though? Like, what would? How would it's just that all cat-based cards. That doesn't. Uh, you think? And that's. Uh, you know. It. I'm not saying it'd be good. It just seems like something I would spend money on. Okay. Yeah, I think that's an important distinction to make. Here is actually my. Uh, this is the one thing I really do like <laughs> about uh, this whole booklet, though, is the very back page is an exchange. Uh, that came from the Hamburger Helper Twitter account. I saw uh, this. I saw this unfold live on Twitter last year. I'm so excited. Yeah, yeah it was. Uh, and they basically just say "shut up, hand," yeah, which I think is funny. <laughs> I think like I also I feel like uh, whoever tweeted that I think it was like Max uh, said the next day that they were definitely drunk when they did that, but it doesn't. It's still that makes it even funnier. Whatever, shut up, hand. Yeah, um, and you know I actually so I I like love the things that those guys do and i think maybe i had a little bit of a this change when uh and i don't even necessarily think it's a change i think that maybe this just caught me at the wrong time it seemed really mean when i was expecting another thing like oh another joyous like cool holiday thing and it was just like (laughs) your emails are bad and you should feel bad did they take the names off the emails at least nope nope whoa (laughs) um you know these could be Actually, I think that these are uh, fake names and emails in here. Um, but there are emails here, which is kind of funny. Um, at least I would hope that some of these are fake emails and that Elijah Hayes, Eli at perp.info, is not a real, <laughs> a real email. Um, but it was, the, it was there when they sent uh, cow poop to people, um, which was perfectly fine. Uh, I don't know if you saw that, but basically they said, like, our Black Friday thing is that we're selling actual bullshit. Yeah, it said, like, uh, actual literal bullshit. And it's and there was a – the best disclaimer on their website was the thing that was, like, you can't re- – like, we're not – this is not a joke. It's literally just shit. You can't return it when you find out it's not shit. There's going to be nothing else in the box. Like, they were yeah. just so – they literally could not have been more clear about it. Yeah, and and I actually thought it was a really funny gag because there was unboxing videos of people literally, like, breaking apart the poop. Right. Thinking that there was something hidden inside. Um, but then afterwards, there was all these pieces that came out that was, like, Cards Against Humanity tricked their, you know, people. Like, the all these idiots bought actual poop. Um, which, I mean, they did. They, they, they did. They did it. And it was pretty dumb that they did that. Like, that's... I would pay someone six dollars not to send poop to my house, uh, but it was it was sort of the tone of that made me think of it. But regardless, it's probably just these two things. But I thought that that was somewhat interesting as it was sitting here on my desk, and I thought I would bring it up. It's funny, dude. Like uh, I remember watching some of those unboxings you're describing, and one thing that stood out to me was that there was a little button that came with each one that had like what almost looked like the poop, like the smiling piece of poop emoji. <laughs> 
And it was like weird that they put a button in there because the the page was so clear that it's just poop, nothing else. And I was like, why would they add a button in there? Like, did they feel guilty that they weren't giving them anything? Uh, and if you read that, they're, they posted a breakdown on their Tumblr of like the whole process from start to finish, mailing the poop to people. And while they were planning this, the company who does their stickers and buttons and like merch said that they had a line of new scratch and sniff stickers. And they had four since they were testing, and one of them was poop. Um, <laughs> so the poop piece of poop button. The underside of the button is a scratch and sniff poop smell sticker, and the reason they chose to include that was because um, because the actual bullshit that they were mailing had been pasteurized and no longer smelled like bullshit. So uh, they were like, that was their way of making it so people could still feel authentically disgusted when they opened the package, which is that's, pr- that's pretty funny. Pretty clever. I actually I couldn't remember if I had bought the uh, the twelve days of Kwanzaa or whatever. Yeah, uh, but I just got home. Uh, after a month in North Carolina, and all of them, all those envelopes are now sitting like oh, perfect. on my shelf. So I'm going to tear through those, I guess, over the next week. So here's the real question: Then, is who bought it for your brother? That's a great question. I still don't know. That's that's a mystery we'll never get to the bottom of. That was the first so, thing I thought when I saw it here. Yeah, that's another uh, very interesting question. Maybe a follow up from our Christmas special is: How did the Christmas go when you tried to explain to your brother that his present that was a representation of a digital present? Did not arrive. So what I wound up doing was I went to a local GameStop like the night before Christmas, um, but and I found like a fingers crossed hoping I could find something to represent Captain Toad. I found that they had like a Connects section of Nintendo Connects figures that were like these blind boxes. Blind. Oh, wow. They were really blind plastic bags, and they had like. <laughs> Six different types. Uh, Waluigi was the rarest one for whatever fucking reason. And, like, Mario and Luigi were the medium rarity. And then the two most common ones were, like, a Goomba and Toad. So me and my other brother were, like, at the GameStop feeling all the packages, trying to find which one felt like it had a Toad head in it. (laughs) And uh, so I brought it home, sliced open the back, checked to make sure it was a Toad, and then wrote a note in there saying, like, hey, go turn on the Wii U. There's a copy of Captain Toad all installed on there, ready to go. So it worked out. Now the question is, do I bother walking to the post office now that I'm back in San Francisco to pick up that Toad plush? That's really what I need to know. I was really hoping that you were going to say you went to a GameStop and got a Wii U case of the actual Captain Toad game. Yeah. And then on the inside put a picture of a Goomba that then said, actually, it's a digital copy, but I needed a way to wrap this. Yes, I, that's a good idea. It's a perfect crime. Nice. Well, I think this is going to do it for this week's episode of Taking Turns. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you want, you can listen to us live every single week. It's the best way to do it. Me and Nick tweet along, uh, and we respond to your tweets uh, as the show happens. It's every Wednesday at 5 p.m. Pacific, 8 p.m. Eastern, uh, and that's at dashradio.com slash multiplayer or in the iPhone and Android apps. Uh, you can also find us on iTunes. Just search Taking Turns. We're the best Taking Turns podcast. We sure are. Because we're the only one, so it's mm-hmm. pretty sweet. Uh, leave us like a review give us some stars stuff like that we appreciate it Uh, you can also find us on soundcloud if that's your thing we have an rss feed for non-itunes people um though most i think most podcast apps just pick up itunes feeds um and yeah that's that's pretty much all we have i'm alex rubens on twitter nick you're babylonian that's that's your youtube also yes you should go subscribe too because it's pretty sweet and also like plug your youtube real quick because you've got that that halo video on there that i think people need to see yeah, my YouTube is the Alex Rubens. I don't think I'm self. It's not self-important or anything. It's just the Alex Rubens was taken, and that's what it's, it suggested. Uh, 
And if you're listening to this live, uh, I have a copy of Kingdom Hearts HD 2.5 Remix that I would like to get out of my house. Uh, so if you're listening to this live, tweet at me and Nick and say Dr. Badboon, and uh, then I'll get your address and I'll send you this game. Uh, so thank you for listening, uh, and be sure to tune in next week for your weekly Taking Turns. Whoop. Bye, y'all. Bye.